0: Hi, today we're sitting down with Max von Polnitz. He's the founder of Spoonful, a food tech company, which was founded in Hong Kong. And we spoke about a lot of things, one of which was food tech. We spoke about his greatest failures. We spoke about also some of the things that he's doing currently in the venture capital space. Hi, my name is Charles Wong, and welcome to another episode of Happier Work and Happier Life. I'm here today with the CEO and founder of Spoonful, Max Monpolnitz. How are you today, Max? I was good. That was
1: a that was a pretty good pronunciation of a tough German name. Um, I, I'm very well. Thank you for coming to our offices.
0: Cool. Um, I like this office. When I come in, it's I see all yellow and I see this big sign. Think outside the box. So tell us a little bit about what Spoonful is today. Uh, Spoonful is a, a virtual restaurant group. Um, so we believe in
1: food made for delivery as uh, we started nearly four years ago. So very early to kind of this cloud kitchen, dark kitchen, ghost kitchen space. Mm. And we build brands uh, for our own websites, for corporate customers, as well as um, for the food platforms such as Deliveroo, Food Panda.
0: Okay. So one of the things I, th- I think, uh, if you can help us understand, how has this business been impacted by the COVID-19 Yeah, I mean, it's been, I mean, I think most startups
1: and SME businesses across Asia have been impacted, right? Mm. There's no question. Um, We are quite lucky in the sense that parts of our business have not been impacted at all. Instead, have grown, you know, significantly. Mm -hmm. Other parts of our business, for example, the corporate side, we feed thousands of customers a day in their companies. I see. has been absolutely decimated. I mean, it's... um, there's very few experiences in life where you see a 90% drop in revenue. Right? Yes. You think about Cathay Pacific, for, you know, it's down to like 115 flights a day. Yes. Right? Um, it, is, it is amazing. For me, I'll give you a small anecdote. So I was in, I've been in Asia for 12 years. Mm. And I was here during the 2008 crisis. I, however, was part of an asset management team that killed it during the crisis. We were had real estate restructuring and all these different things that come from these sort of crises. So our small Asia team was super busy. So I experienced their financial crisis in a quite a nice way. way. Bonuses, <laughs> and increased salaries. Um, but, uh, but now this this crisis, um, what, 12 years later, mm. um, we, we have felt it very dramatically, um, primarily because our customers have felt it so dramatically.
0: So how are you, what are you doing in terms of, um, you know, revamping your direction now, given that the whole corporate market is shut down? And do you see a pickup in terms of the food delivery? So what, what, yeah, what part know, of that we, is?
1: We absolutely. I mean, look, there's been a, there's been a for the direct to consumer space, there's been a massive pickup. People working from home, living at home, right? Uh, not going to restaurants. I mean, the restaurant market in Hong Kong is down like 80%. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's crushing blow to the economy, but for food delivery, it's, it's helped. Um, I think the best way to explain it is, you know, every young company needs to be constantly nimble and, 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 and reactionary, right. And, and I think this crisis is actually no different than other crises that we create for ourselves, right. If, if revenue isn't going in the right direction in a certain product line, we, we have to change And evolve and and this has forced us to evolve even faster so we are focused very heavily now in our direct-to-consumer food delivery space uh, primarily for nosh which is our healthy brand um, because we've just found people are extremely focused on eating healthy at home.
0: okay i know when you go on uh, food panda if you go on delivery on the weekends they literally shut down some of the restaurants mm-hmm. and that's a function of because they have there's too, there's too many orders. They don't have enough drivers, right?
1: Yeah, I mean there's there's a lot of issues in the the food delivery platform world. Yeah, right. I mean these remember these are it's a three sided marketplace. You have the customer, you have the restaurant or the cloud kitchen operator sure. like myself, and you have the driver. Right. Uh, in Hong Kong, Singapore, um, even parts of, uh, of of Korea, you know, you just have such low you're missing supply on the driver's side, yes, which which really kills you. I mean, Hong Kong, I mean, not, not nothing against the Hong Kong government at this stage, but I will say that the regulations around electric motorcycles or electric bikes or the ability to bring more
0: people onto the road in a safe way is just not there. I get it. I mean, so does that tend to sort of move you into a direction where you're asking yourself, look, if Food Panda cannot deliver our products why can't we deliver our own products to the direct to consumer?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I I think um, what you saw in the e-commerce space nearly six, seven years ago in China, right, when you Mm -hmm. saw the proliferance of Tmall, Taobao, right, um, you saw what eventually happened is a lot of these brands said, oh, you know what, we actually do want to still go direct. Right. And so the reason we want to go direct actually has less to do with the delivery and driver side and more to do with the customer experience. To say, look, we want to own that customer journey. Yes. We want to speak directly to the consumer. I get it. Um, but that being said, that we we can't compete in the on-demand space. Because that's right. Hard. I mean, yeah. Deliver- the idea of getting food within 30 minutes, yeah. um, we are very happy to just be a cloud kitchen mm-hmm. provider and 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 work with companies like Deliveroo to make that possible.
0: Because... I, just scale, right? Well, yeah. it's
1: scale, but also cost. I yes. mean, let, remember none of these guys are profitable
0: oh, get it because they're, <laughs> they're, they're pumping money in there exactly. right
1: but not just that I mean also yeah. I mean it doesn't take a rocket scientist to think yeah. you know if, if it's a ten US dollar a hundred Hong Kong meal yeah you know th- these guys only take 25% commission mm-hmm. how, how do you deliver a meal for $25 yeah
0: can't. and and as a consumer if I go on to the food panda and, and deliverable app I can actually get a bigger discount Without also paying the ten percent service fee, and get my food directly yeah. in my house. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, from a yeah. from
1: a consumer angle, yeah. it has been an incredible feast. Excuse my pun, <laughs> for for customers. Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. I mean, this is. I, I met um, on a on a side story. I had dinner with the uh, co founder of Meituan. Mm. Um, he was the CFO. And uh, he's now, he's left. But he said, really, the, the key, I mean, Meituan raised $13 billion, right? And, and nearly $12.5 billion of that probably went to Quite discounts, right, to consumers. And he said, look, the, the Meituan era mm. in, in China, the real winner was the customer yes because they got free food free rides free massages for like
0: three years yes right so
1: and that's the same right now we're seeing that in the food delivery space globally mm-hmm. um there is there was i should say such a push to win customers um which is now changing I, absolutely do
0: you I mean you you must heard about the uh, the story of zoom right and the basically the pizza truck delivery company that SoftBank oh, yeah, invested yes. in, yeah, yeah, yeah. and their model was okay. I'm gonna directly drive around the street, cook the pizza, and de- deliver it directly to the customers. Um, and that flopped because um, I think they had issues with the with the equipment and the cooking. But could that model ever be possible here in Hong Kong?
1: Um, what I mean, food. I think first and foremost, I would say that food. I have been in the food space for nearly nine years. Mm. Um, food is really challenging. It is one of the hardest businesses to be a part of, primarily because consumer um, consumer tastes change, mm. and in the ones that they don't change, pizza there's a tremendous amount of competition, yeah. um, and then and then you have. Extreme operational risk. Mm. I mean, you're producing a a, a perishable product, right? right. Um, so, so I think a lot of people get into these industries without thinking through a lot of the operational risks. Mm. I mean, we produce thousands of meals a day out of our right. central kitchens, and it is really hard, mm. like, to keep quality going to invest in constant R and D. But, um, but we do it, and uh, and and I think to answer your question. You know, I think the opportunity in the food delivery space. What most people are talking about has to do with automation of the delivery piece, right? Robotic deliveries, which are being tested quite a lot on college campuses now. Um, Not so much in cities yet. Um, But uh, but I think personally, I am a big believer of the central kitchen model. So not the Zoom Pizza little trucks driving around or food trucks. I like the the make. 20,000 meals a day in a central Shift location and distribute it out to a kind of distributed hub network. okay um, Which is what we've done. I believe that that creates the most scale, that creates the best quality controls mm. and um, you know ultimately the best consumer experience.
0: I think there's a couple of companies in the world like that, right? And um, I've heard a couple that are similar to that model in, in uh, parts like India. Where you have a massive distribution Mm -hmm. sort of network already set up Mm -hmm. like the the whole train system and then there's big this big kitchen that just produces maybe four or five set meals and uses that massive distribution i think what's problematic for a city like hong kong is that that distribution network is not set up in that way right yeah isn't it yeah you're
1: right i mean real estate plays a role um I think you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, that the company you're talking about is Rebel Foods in India. Um, but uh, the the main challenge in all of these sort of networks, first and foremost, is still the customer, yeah. right? Like you still need the demand. Um, and, uh, and building a brand and a customer experience or food experience is, is a real challenge, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and I mean, hats off. Rebel has done an incredible job with their Faso's brand. To to change the industry.
0: Interesting. So let's talk a little bit about um, the quality of your food, right? Because sure. you mentioned something about the fact that this is a very important piece. So help us to understand a little bit of what goes into the food preparation, and as well as what are the ingredients, right? Because you've now seen, I guess, all of this news about replacements, uh, like you know, beyond meats. Proteins, yeah. Yes, alternative proteins. Um, and other things may ch- just taste as well as, you know, red, like meats, right? So do you use that kind of stuff in your in your food or?
1: Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, we, we you know, we're at the end of the day, like I said, we're a virtual restaurant group. So okay. we we have to evolve with consumer tastes. Um, we're quite lucky in the sense that we actually do set some trends ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we, we started working with Impossible when they first came into the market three cool. two, two years ago. Mm. Um you know, we've uh, we've always been a firm believer of our supply chain and raw ingredients and and where that food comes from and being transparent with our customer base around yes. it. Um, but I think you're you're absolutely right. One of the most exciting developments right now in food tech globally yeah. is a huge, massive change in consumer behavior around. Almond milk, mm-hmm. uh, around oat milk, around alternative protein sources, alternative fish sources. Yes. Um, you know, I, I've looked at a bunch of companies that are in alternative tuna, right, like canned tuna. Right. Um, you know, all plant-based. So it's, um, it's, it's yeah. It's, I mean, it's crazy. It's exciting. I mean, it's really yeah. exciting. It's a, it's a, it's a massive. I think people underestimate how massive of a change this is to the human kind of consumption of food.
0: Absolutely. I mean. If you see, I saw this one documentary where they could take a stem cell from a pig, from a chicken, yeah. from a cow, and they're basically growing it in a Petri dish mm. and they can make chicken nuggets mm. and they're now serving that. Yeah, so there's there's
1: two kind of strains in the alternative protein space. You have one is the plant-based alternative protein, which is what Impossible and Beyond do. They, Correct. they, they try to use soy or, or pea protein to, to create um, these sort of products. Correct. Then you have the cell-based alternative protein method, which is what you're talking about, um, which, again, at this stage has not yet proven real scale, Mm. right? Because you're, in essence, a pharmaceutical company. Correct. Um, And so the question there is, you know, who is going to demonstrate real scale in that space, and can it be done in a cheap enough way that is actually viable for the consumer? Um, Plant-based has already proven that.
0: Yes. It's already out in Burger King in the U.S., right? Exactly. Yeah, so... Yes. No. But that's the, these are the trends I think um, that are going to be really interesting for the consumer. Do you think that will ultimately change uh, consumer behavior in terms of um, giving them more choices, but also providing them with? I I would think this is a better, healthier alternative. Right?
1: I mean, I think yeah. I think it already has. I mean, I think um, I think the the consumer has already spoken. Okay. Right. I mean, you. I'm I, I constantly looking at statistics, you know, you're seeing 600% growth in, in the UK on yeah. alternative protein sources. Um, I think the, the oat milk market came out of nowhere, 1200% growth, right? Um, the, so I think the consumer has already spoken. And I think the, the main point now for the industry is actually to catch up, like in the sense that yes, now they're going to demand a huge variety of, right. of, of product. We already run a vegetarian brand. So we run a plant-based brand um, where we already are constantly experimenting with vegetarian recipes and and how to integrate a lot of these technologies on the food side into those recipes. Uh, Because at the end of the day, it it still comes down to a chef Mm. taking these products and making something delicious for the consumer. So the, the chef side of things has not changed. Okay. It's just the inputs that are changing. Correct, um, But chefs do need to learn how to work with
0: those inputs. Okay. Um, so I think there is a bit of a misconception in the market, right? So when people look at um, things like Beyond Meat, they tend to ask themselves the question, well, wait a minute, if, it, if I can make a, a product taste like meat, there must be a lot of processing that goes on. So even though that it's deemed to be a healthier choice, because of the all these food processing procedures that it takes to make it taste like meat, is it really a better alternative for me? Can you sort of help us understand that a, a bit?
1: I mean, this, that's a <laughs> tough topic because everyone has a viewpoint. Sure. Um, so I, I would, I would, I would answer that with it starts with what that personal viewpoint is. Mm-hmm. If the personal, if you're making a food decision because of the environment, for example, yes. which um, because you you. you you want to change how the chicken culture or the beef, you know, cattle culture works, then perhaps these sort of products have extreme value to you. And the Mm -hmm. fact that they're partially processed or, um, you know, or or perhaps made in a lab, um, you know, is not, is more relevant, right? It's not as important. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is the case with many people, right? Many people look at it as an environmental solution. Sure. And so, and it really is extremely good for the environment right. versus you know the existing industry. If you are looking at it from a pure health profile, yes. and I have been running a healthy meal kit business now for five years, health and wellness from a food standpoint, um, a is highly subjective, um, and B uh, really has. To, I really am a firm proponent of moderation like I, I look you eat whatever the hell you want get it right get it. like if you want ice cream if you want this if you want if you want to eat a steak every week like it doesn't matter in that sense what matters is the the approach across the entire consumption behavior mm-hmm. and you know that comes with you know how many calories you're eating you know where how how many carbs you're eating yeah how much processed sugar you know how, how much processed sodium um that that plays a larger role so, so for something like this, an alternative protein mm-hmm. solution, look, like it's like everything else. Just don't eat it every day. Right. Right. Don't eat it for every meal. Right. If you want to have an impossible burger, sure. Right. But is an impossible burger healthy? Right.
0: No. It's eat, still the a burger.
1: eat the salad. I mean, look, <laughs> eat the salad. Eat the salad. I mean, look, it's Burger King. Right. Like you don't have to be a genius to know that Burger King is not right. a healthy solution. So yeah. I think the the point is we <clears throat> prescribe in our business to a holistic health solution yes. which is about eating a balanced diet mm. and if you um and, and our brand one of our brands nosh which which runs the health side of our business yeah. and look we also run sesame which is a bento box japanese business which has you know 850 calories a bento box right and and mm-hmm. some meals are chicken teriyaki with way too much sugar and sodium yeah. but they're delicious right so you know how do you balance that out is a
0: Okay. So if someone were to come to you and say, okay, can you provide me with a menu, my weekly menu, is that something that you guys do today? No. no. So we do
1: no customization in that I sense. See. We, um, again, everything in our business has been built for scale mm-hmm. um, and, and scale requires uh, some frameworks for customers to choose from. Interesting. Um, so that that's one side of the business. Our, our corporate side of the business is... Um, we have some customization,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but uh, but it really depends on the the value of the order. Okay, great. right. I mean, so yes. uh, and and to be honest, I mean, look in in today. I mean, I'm saying all this, but truth be told, in the environment that we're currently operating in, we we no longer we did a six month beta test in Singapore, but are now only day to day operating in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, look, we we're we're quite creative. Okay. With, with what we're willing to do we have to appeal to our customer
0: okay so so you mentioned that you did a beta test in singapore so yeah. tell us a little bit about did was the consumer experience very different then because i know singaporean people like to eat hot foods right yeah yeah, yeah. Um, no we you, we
1: yeah. look I, I for all start i don't yeah. know who, who is listening to this podcast but if there are people listening around you know who are expanding their business mm-hmm. or looking at the next market um or trying to understand i mean the the New market entry strategy. I mean, there's a reason why there are experts on this. There is a reason why MBAs teach all classes on this, right? It's right. it's truly it is a skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it and we we certainly uh, had a pretty amazing experience launching in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, we were we were about to launch a test case in Shenzhen, mm-hmm. um, but clearly with everything that's <laughs> transpired in the last right. nine months, we we chose not to. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the main point is. Yes. I mean, consumer behavior is different. Um, the type of talent, mm-hmm. right? You, you, you need a local leader Absolutely. is different. Yes. Um, the uh, uh, customer retention might be different. Customer basket sizes might be different. Um, I mean, one of the reasons we didn't launch in Kuala Lumpur is because price sensitivity is different there, mm-hmm. which means our margins are different. So um, there's a lot of decisions that come in my space in deploying somewhere else, less so if you're running a pure SaaS product solution. Sure. Um, but uh, but it was, um, yeah, I mean, it was fascinating. That's cool, okay. Yeah, so
0: Max, so there's a segment on the show we always ask our um, founders about their biggest failures. So a lot of things that I like to do is to look at the, the failure resume and to ask the founders what they have actually learned from these failures. So can you share with us and the listeners about some of the things that you've sort of done in your life that weren't particularly at that time um, great, but now you look back on it and it's like, wow, that taught me a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, anyone who's who started their own business has had probably more failures than successes. Um, sure. I, I'm. This is my fourth startup that I've involved in. Um, and so my first company I started in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be quite frank, I think with that business, we made every mistake you could possibly make. Um, I remember being in business school a year and a half later and listening
0: to these, <laughs>
1: these professors, right. Talk about startups and entrepreneurs yeah. and me going, I made yes. all, I did all that. Like I, I have
0: my MBA degree right yeah. here. <laughs>
1: anyway, So um, the, I think, I think, oh, Jesus, I mean, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I think from a, from a failure standpoint, I, th- I mean, I, I, I would start with first and foremost, it has to do with the type of people you surround yourself with. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't do anything alone. So yeah. both my successes and my failures start with those decisions, with, um, you know, the the type of people you hire, the type of mentors you might have, mm-hmm. um, the type of advisors that you might have in both scenarios, right? Will we'll lead to... Um, success or failure. Now, you don't know it at the time per se, mm. right? Hindsight is is probably much more effective. But at the end of the day, that that is the crux. And you hear people always talk about hiring. You hear people talk about yeah. team. Um, but uh, it's, um, I mean, it's just it, in a startup space, opportunity cost mm. is way more painful than actually the growth you might get. Right. Because in startups, we're really constantly making the decision between should I do this or should I do that? And then once I choose, you know, scenario A, I'm going to go all in there, which means you you don't have the luxury like a larger company to maybe put some resources into scenario B. Like you're you're going all in A. And which means that the entire B scenario is now an opportunity cost. Yeah. And that a lot of time happens with people. It happens with the strategies people provide. It's it's the actions that people take, right? And so um, that that's probably been uh, you know the biggest challenge um, uh, in my second uh, startup that I was involved in was a healthcare tech company in Austin, Texas. And you know the the founder and I um, you know just ha- had such a challenge. Getting on the same page, and mm. one of the main things mistakes we made in our partnership was, you know, being really clear on what decisions each of us makes, and then trusting the other person to make that decision, whether they succeed or fail. Right. Right. You 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 trust it. You 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 work through it together, and that's that. We mm. we were very bad at that, right. and I, I it it taught me a lot how to um to manage expectations, mm. even in the smallest hire. Right? whether it's your co-founder sure. or it's your 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 secretary um the uh so that would be kind of step 1 i think step 2 from a failure standpoint i mean gosh i mean so you know what the the biggest failure piece that i um recognize is is uh, probably two two additional one is is the the market size the market opportunity um you have to be very tough on yourself sometimes. Mm. You know, you're solving a problem, and you you you're you're so gung ho about it. You're so passionate about it. You know, you rarely take a step back and say, Emma, how many people am I solving this problem for? Right. Right. Is it ten thousand? Is it fifty thousand? Is it ten million? Right. Is it a billion? Yeah. Um, And I have made a lot of mistakes in that space because you know whether we're launching a new business line or getting excited about solving a problem for one customer, Mm -hmm. when it turns out there's only ten customers that that problem actually exists for. Mm -hmm. Um, So that and and that's a big challenge because I'm a just do it kind of guy, right? Like just get it done, go, move forward, and and yet you really do need to ask yourself with your team, you know, how, how viable is this solution? right, in the grand scheme of things. Um, and then I would say the last failure, I mean, look, there's so many, but I, I would still say that, um, you know, a, another one that is that has at least been um, challenging for me has been, you know, where...
0: Well, what would I add? I guess I'm not going to add another one. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, so, so in what you just said to me, right, I, I kind of get it because... You know, in in the business that I'm in, I, I see a lot of the similar trends, right, which is how do I know this person I'm going to work with is actually going to work out, right? So it, there's a lot of things that I don't detect on day one, but only when I hire the person, only when I start working with them or her, um, then I get to see their personalities and I say to myself, wow, maybe I don't have the right
1: yeah. candidate.
0: Maybe I don't have the right employee, right?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, mean hiring, yeah, right. hiring in general in a startup environment where yes. one person can break your company yeah. or make your company, especially if you only have a six person team. I mean, hell you're hiring 15% of the company right. with that one person, right? right? So um, yeah, I mean, hiring yeah. is, I'm a huge proponent of hire slow fire fast. Mm. And I tell this to a lot of, I mentor a lot of entrepreneurs. Yes. Like I tell them, look, if that first day yeah. you have a bad feeling, tell them That's it's it. over. Yeah. Like do not feel any remorse right. about that because it can be so detrimental. Yes. Right? Um, and it's it's so rewarding when it's not. When somebody comes in and adds all this incredible value over a couple month period and you're just like amazed by the, the level of interest, and I think the most rewarding thing as an entrepreneur or a founder is watching people who are not founders, who are just employees, become as passionate or more passionate could about be. your product. Yeah, could right, be. and maybe they do become founders eventually, right? I mean, we we made a co-founder in Spoonful, Sabrina. She became a co-founder about two years after launch because uh, you know she um, she she proved you know, just how passionate she was. Right. So she deserved that title because she did build the business. Right. Um, but yeah, that, that I find extremely rewarding is when you watch people, we have that in our team here. I mean, it is, it is incredible. We have some staff who've been with us from day one Mm. and, and they are really passionate about the problems that they're trying to solve. It's amazing.
0: Yes. I think it's a passion. I love your model, which is, um, you know, hire slow but fire fast. Because I think that's that's the mistake a lot of firms make because they keep on thinking that they can change the person that they've hired to adopt to something. But in reality, it's very hard to do that. So Max, um, just for our uh, listening audience, I think you and I have sort of had a few exchanges um, prior to this. And you mentioned to me that, um, you know, you're also uh, now Besides being an entrepreneur, you're also now a venture capitalist. So tell us a little bit about some of the things that have interested you to be a VC and what sort of companies are you looking for now?
1: I mean, I think venture capitalist makes me sound like some sort of awesome dude in an office. The truth is I'm a poor guy in, a, in an industrial space. But uh, but I think, we, you know, I'm an entrepreneur who, who's had a lot of experiences mm-hmm. and has access to quite a lot of capital. And so it just makes sense to invest into other young entrepreneurs who are trying to grow, mm-hmm. and so that's what it's more of an angel fund, I would say. Okay. Right? We 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 are an early stage venture capital firm in the food tech space, okay. um, looking at supply chain B two B businesses, alternative proteins, and and such, and and called New Territory Ventures, and it was started with uh, employee number. Twenty or 40 at uber okay he he did well he did well (laughs) yeah um so so we really we do have a a a a focus on technology and mobility in that respect as well but um yeah i mean it's been fascinating i mean it's it's been a few you know it's been it's been a while i've I've sat down with a lot of different companies um you know some some companies who are doing you know hr optimization um we we have uh, companies and we were just looking at an electric tractor, um, that, that automated tractor for the vineyard uh, oh, industry. Wow. Okay. Um, we were looking at uh, a, a a new supply chain for wholesale, so a a purchasing environment for restaurants and chefs and and people who buy raw ingredients. How to create that pro? I mean that process. We we have suppliers who still want to fax. Yeah. Right? I mean we're talking. This is an antiquated. Um, industry still so there's a it's it's actually quite amazing how much of the B2B space Mm -hmm. needs technology yes you know in your space I mean you're in Fintech I mean you talk to an average guy Goldman Sachs you'd be amazed how many of them still use Excel for everything yeah yeah. right Right. with no sharing capabilities it's not on the cloud no one can co-edit there's no yeah I mean there's a lot of solutions to solve that Mm -hmm. I actually was Pitched a, a kind of Excel for the cloud right. business. I mean, that's well, that's, that's Google Sheets. A, that's yeah, <laughs> that's more of a private solution right. yeah. for 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 um for bank. It is Google Sheets, but um, but so yeah, no, it is it is fascinating. Um, and, and the real energy in doing this mm-hmm. is I mean, how people have so much passion, so many ideas. Now, eighty percent of them won't work, right? But it's still fantastic to sit across from someone, listen to them. Know that they've become so passionate about someone. And, and look, I, I never try to discourage. Mm. Look, if I'm not going to invest, fine. Yeah. You're not going to get my money. Good but luck. I will never yeah. discourage you from doing it, even if I think it's the dumbest idea on the planet. Right. I want, who cares? You found something that you want to commit yourself to, whether it's for one year or 10 years. You know, Fantastic. There's very few people on this planet that take that risk. Mm-hmm. So why discourage it?
0: Okay. So it's really just about uh, empowering those people that probably um, wanted to do something like a spoonful, or maybe something to complementary, two spoonful, something have to do with food tech. They should be looking at uh, new territory ventures. Yeah, I right? mean,
1: look, we a- anyone if you're if you're if you're starting a business, um, or if you've already got a team of three guys and you're looking for mentorship, advisory, and some cash. Um, you know, a lot of what we do is also connect future financing rounds because we're quite awesome. deeply connected, right, in, in especially Asia and San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, in yeah, supply chain, B2B SaaS, food tech, food delivery, right, um, and alternative proteins.
0: Okay. So finally, I just wanted to um, get your perspectives on sort of the, the startup world in food tech. So tell us a little bit about, you know, in terms of funding, right, in food tech is series a really the toughest part of food tech funding or is it series b or is it sort of you know where is really the bottleneck today
1: oh i mean look it it really depends on where in the world you are okay i mean we're sitting in hong kong right now hong kong is an extremely challenging place to fund series a there's a huge gap here why is that because Typically, a Series A, let's uh, let's not put a number on it. Let's just call what does a Series A mean? It means different values all over the world. The but what it is. really means is you, you've built a solution, you've got an MVP, you've got customers, you've got scale in one or two markets. Okay. And now you want to kind of take that experience and replicate it aggressively, right. put fuel on the fire, right? Hong Kong businesses A, a lot of the young people here are not thinking very big. You know, you sit and you see a lot of business plans for like ten million U.S. dollars right. of revenue. That that's just not gonna cut it. Mm. Like in, we're talking five years from now. Sure, understand. Right? Yeah, that handle. that doesn't work. Yes. Right, um, and that, a lot of that's driven through you know schooling, education, and just like the, the 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 issues of Hong Kong, where it's just a tiny market. Right, so it's hard mm. to even do the math, and in your home country, see you getting to a hundred million.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so. So I think the series A is a gap primarily because people need to think, okay, am I building an MVP in Hong Kong and then, then delivering it into China? Mm-hmm. Am I delivering it into Southeast Asia? Like, you know, should I not even start in Hong Kong? Should I just go straight to Shenzhen? Yeah. Um, you know, these are really challenging decisions for founders to make. Mm-hmm. I was just on a call yesterday with a group in Australia that we're um, looking at and, you know, they, their biggest markets is the U.S., and so I told their founders, look, like one of you has to move to the U.S. Yeah, exactly. And if not, you will not raise a Series A. Yeah. Because no one, will, why the hell would I give money yeah, to guys, yeah. two guys sitting in Australia surfing when your whole business is in the United States, right? So it just, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way, right? So I think, um, I think that's a real challenge here. Um, and, and one of the reasons why we also focus a lot of energy in the U.S. markets.
0: Okay, that's interesting. Okay, thank you for that. All right, so um, so now I think we're going to conclude our podcast. But do you want to conclude by telling our listeners so how can they contact Spoonful? How can they get the products and services of oh, Spoonful? Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, look, check check us out on 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 www.nosh.hk. Right, that's our Hong Kong business here. Okay. Um, you know use code eat smarter for 15% off your first order and uh and look our our mission is really to help people eat smarter and and make food for delivery so please uh, please enjoy okay cool
0: and you also have this uh spoonful meals.com is that is that yeah, also a website that, that's a the corporate corporate website that's oh, a corporate website okay so if they want to contact you guys to get any type of yeah, like, corporate for relationship their, for
1: their companies you know if you if you want to if you want to work with us in some respects where we feed your employees, where, you know, we're helping your team get a 50% discount on their food
0: needs. Fantastic. And okay. Thank you. Well, great. Thank you, Max. I really enjoyed this talk. Yeah. Me too. Thanks so okay, much. Okay. Thank you so much. So if you like this podcast, please check us out on website, happier.io or social media also at happier.io.